Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series where we bring you conversations with authors near and far to keep you company while you are staying safe at home in these strange times from all of the myriad uh, disasters, fires, viruses, all of that stuff. Um, we're here having lovely conversations about literature that do not expose you to any of that. Um, so welcome back, we're so glad you're here. My name is Maddie Gobo, I'm the events manager and your host today. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, we're gonna be talking about mushrooms um, and where they come from and what they do and, and um, how we can respect their powers. Um, today with Bette Williams and Michelle T. I'm gonna give them their full intro in just a minute, but I wanted to, um, just again, plug our virtual events, which are happening over on Crowdcast. You can find us at crowdcast.io slash skylightbooks. We've got lots of good stuff coming up for the fall. And we're also working on some very special bundled book with ticket events for um, September and October. We're working with the local venue, Dynasty Typewriter, um, which usually produced our in-person theater events, but now they've kind of pivoted to doing digital events and they do a fantastic job. Um, so we hope you check those out as well. The first one coming up is Chuck Palahniuk on September 8th. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. All right, so without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guests today. Um, Bet is gonna start us off with a short reading and then Bet and Michelle will be in conversation. And then I'll come back and we'll say our goodbyes. All right. Michelle T's work includes the cult classic Valencia, the dystopic memoir Black Wave, and the essay collection Against Memoir, winner of an award from Pen America for the Art of the Essay. Her most recent publication is the kids' book Tabitha and Magoo Dress Up 2, inspired by Drag Queen Story Hour, which she is a co-founder of. Bat Williams lives in New Mexico. Her recent essays have been featured in Double Blind Magazine and Lucid News. She hosts a podcast with Beth Hill called No Cures, Only Alchemy, about the intersection between psychedelics and culture. She's the author of Girl Walking Backwards, which was mentioned in Vogue magazine as one of the best 10 young adult queer novels and The Wrestling Party. She was a featured speaker at the Horizons Perspectives on Psychedelics Conference in 2018. Her new book is The Wild Kindness, a psilocybin odyssey, which is an unforgettable memoir of Beth's relationship with psilocybin mushrooms, otherwise known as magic mushrooms. Um, it's a really wonderful book. It goes in a lot of kind of deep and unexpected directions, and I'm really excited to get into it today with Beth and Michelle. Um, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, Beth, so, you yeah. want to start us off? I do. Um, my other books I did, um, Readings at Skylight. So this is a really great way to land in. It's my first um, virtual event for this book. So I love Skylight. Uh, this is the one of the first chapters I wrote in the book that I ended up kind of trying to meet this piece in order to finish it. It's called The Walk. We commenced with the evening's event by picking vermiculite off the slightly bruised fruits. Clement had just arrived from San Francisco. They're an old friend and creator of an animated stop motion video about interdimensional deer who weigh the souls of humans who died while a panel of mushrooms gathered to discuss taking over the earth. My friend Brannigan was here after many months of deep ayahuasca ceremony in New York City. She and I shared a desire for the mushrooms to eventually show us the ceremonial structure that best suited their medicine, but we aren't indigenous people, so it was presumptuous to think that such a structure would look anything like a tra traditional peyote or ayahuasca ceremony. Our ancestors who came before us long ago sat with the same open-hearted desire to do the right thing and were given directions. The old ways share more similarities than differences, yet I personally had no shame in being allied with the tribe of stoners that crowd the Arrowhead experience vaults with tales of jumping into swimming pools with boots on, making bras out of lunch and meat, or reaching an epiphany while watching Broad City. Well, high on something as fantastic as a mushroom, is anything really secular? I made a point of taking a lower dose, but they came on even stronger than what I was used to. Something about needing to heal from the relationship I had just ended. I prepared for my usual descent into somatic landscapes of psychodrama and body pain. Brannigan came in from outside, a beautiful shawl wrapped around her shoulders. It's incredible out there, Brannigan said. She'd been around the block in that wee peel, her feathers in a box and her holy underground connections. We knew each other because I saw her picture on a friend's Facebook page. Taken by her beauty, I invited her over. She'd now been visiting and staying in the guest room on and off for a couple years. I got it together enough to step out in my pajamas and look at the stars. I stood in a spot where the rocks recede and it's just a flat expanse of soft white clay. If you stand there looking south, Two hills slope into an arroyo right in the center of your sight line, and it's very vaginal for miles till it drops off into nothing. My legs filled with blood and lightness, strung tight and tuned between the dirt and the stars, my body slammed back into my body. All the loops having to do with my ex disappeared. Clem suggested we walk and visit each of the directions on the land. I agreed that it was a very good idea. Brannigan wanted to stay inside by the fire. Maybe I was getting on her nerves. Our friendship was a contract signed but never read. Whatever the hidden arguments when Brandon got outside because it's amazing. You go. I went into my bedroom to get dressed. I put on my camel hair Pendleton coat and my Stetson fedora hat. I tied a long narrow red silk scarf around my neck and slipped on the silver-toed men's cowboy boots I bought off eBay which are brown, pointy, and elaborate in their stitching. I put on my three rings, a hierarchical family of silver led by a bear ring with two peridot jewels. My oversized brass Lubbock belt buckle hung low and heavy on my waist. Some people introduce themselves to nature through song and words, and you'd think that would be my way, but no. It turns out the only time I ever care about fashion is when I'm on mushrooms. 
what I wear becomes very important. The mushrooms seem to like it when you show up in an exaggerated cartoonish shape. In this way, I become the protagonist, joined with all the other weirdo protagonists in the zillion narratives of wonder and danger, ungendered and without individual history, just another dude under the stars. I grab my bird wing and a jug of bugler tobacco. Clem and I began walking up the hill on the north side of the house. Two dudes we were now, now under the stars, our boots sunk into the spongy dirt covered with stones the size of paws. White quartz and rocks of green and red were occasionally collected into small piles by Airbnb guests who decided against bringing them back on the plane. Side by side, I felt our sameness of spirit offset charged by the dissonance of our shape. My cheesy dated Hunter S. Thompson-esque aesthetic of excess moved alongside Clem's economical Oliver Twist industrial age newspaper boy. In their tweed cap and button-up shirt, Clem was old world knowledge to my quack Texan medicine man, and together we formed an atonal duo that brought to mind the characters of Don Quixote, the fat short one and the tall thin one. David Foster Wallace said he stole those guys from Don Quixote and inserted them into his novel Infinite Jest, so timeless and imperturbable they are on this earth as an engine of truth-telling. A perverted twin theme, certain awkward arrangements have made the spirits crack up laughing since the beginning of time, and we were that thing of two walking around. I'm really happy right now. I can't remember when I felt this happy. This is incredible. Wow, Clem said. I felt the same way, even though nothing hugely dramatic was happening. We stood up at the circle of stones, the highest point on the land where you could see the horizon in all directions, the glow of lights from Santa Fe in the north and Rio Rancho in the south. Homestead lights sparkle in the nearby hills. Lights from cars move in slinky ways down dirt roads as if floating in air before blinking into nothingness. For so many years, these lights fed into my fears of UFOs and unexplainable orbs until over time I figured out they were just car lights on a distant hillside. Over 25 years ago, I sat in this place for weeks, waiting for the cement contractors, my ancient cell phone resting next to me the size of a concrete block. Back then, every call cost a fortune, and there was no internet. I explained all this to Clem, who was taking everything in. Throw some tobacco on that rock, okay, I said. There? Yeah, just put some tobacco on it. Like that? Yes, perfect. Maybe we should go to the bus. I don't know. Clem had been working in the scrapyard salvage anti-hippie minimalist aesthetic masochistic writer bus for days, working on an outline for their lemur project. The view out the windows to the Ortiz Mountains is sublime. Everyone who comes to visit loves working in the bus. Nothing like a clear, clean container in a wide open space to organize your thoughts. I'll go wherever, Clem said. You've kind of taken care of the bus though with all the work you've been doing. We should go to the east. There's this thing there. This thing, that's the reason I bought this land. Kip called it the amphitheater. He said, you have to see this place because there's an amphitheater on it. You okay to go? Sure, I'll follow you wherever you take me. I'm just so happy right now. Clem was visibly bubbling over with joy. I wondered whether I would have recognized how rare a time we were having if I were alone. I saw that Clem had stepped into a real clearing, and I was in it with them. It was a space defined by what had been removed from it, those things being our useless thoughts. Trees, our feet in the dirt, the stars above us, 
All of it existed in a soup of resonance stripped of the human language that surrounds such things. Hence, everything was simply way more itself. It's amazing all the crap you can lay on a juniper tree at night. Everything from, isn't that juniper tree pretty, to that juniper tree is giving me allergies, that juniper tree is a crystal hieroglyphic, that juniper tree is Lisa Bonet, that juniper tree is next to another smaller juniper tree. All of that was gone now. Hello, one of us said. Hello is the happiest word in the English language. I think I'm gonna leave it. Oh right my there. God, I love it so much. It's so <laughs> beautiful and fun and insightful and oh my god and the thanks Michelle. I'll go back I mean it's like not. let me just say when you passed me this manuscript gosh I think it was actually two years ago now I think it was in uh no was it it was in yeah it was two oh, years ago it yeah blew mm -hmm. my mind I mean usually when I get a manuscript I you know it's a bunch of loose paper so I I just uh read it at home, you know, because it's un it's unwieldy, but I just loved that yeah. airplane. Man. I mean, it's one of the best things that I've read in my life. I love it so much. Um, Dang, Michelle, oh, thank you. Thank you for writing. It was a joy <laughs> to read. It felt like a revelation. It yeah. felt like, it really felt like a new kind of literature, a new way of writing memoir. It was just, well, um, I mean, it's mushrooms. <laughs> it's also all your relationships and it's, these beautiful relationships that, um, you know, like with Beth and then these complicated relationships with friends and then this traumatic relationship with your ex and then throughout it all, your relationship with the mushrooms, which are a major character um, in the book. You know, they're truly alive. What what guided the creation of the story? Like how, what was your process like? Because you really give yourself permission to go, it feels like anyway, that you give yourself permission to go anywhere you want and it's a thrilling ride. You know, as I said about that chapter, that was something I wrote that came out fairly easy. And I was like, this is the best thing I've written in a while. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write about the mushrooms. And, and I think it took a good four years to, to finish it because um, I could always tell when something came off the page or if it was forced or not. So some of the pieces emerged from mushroom trips and those were easier to write than having to put it in the context of my life. Um, but I think the psychedelic fractal aspect of simply, you know, in a dignified way, meeting the psychedelic experience with words, which is kind of impossible, um, you know, help me write the other things in a different way. Like you have, um, you have dogs with microchips, like Rosie, my dog is a CIA agent trying to get me to be a cult leader in the book. And that's how I talk about my difficult past relationship and when everything kind of fell apart with all my friends. So, so it uh, allowed, you know, similar afterglow with mm -hmm. all the different techniques. It, you know, the mushrooms themselves were like, how, think about this psychedelic yeah. And then it finally just came together. I just had to fill in like some different pieces of it all. But it was about just meeting the vibe. You know, I didn't really care as much about the story as meeting the um, philosophical themes and the, and the joy. You know, I wanted a book that was full of language. I mean, the joy is palpable. And it's part of what makes it so such an incredible experience to read it is that you really feel like you're on like a ride, like at a theme park, like mushroom land. You're on the roller coaster. 
Um, and you know, also, you know, as a writer too, it's like, it's so, um, like as a fellow writer, it is so, it's so inspiring and refreshing to read a take on memoir like this, you know, and like, you know, like Eileen Miles's Afterglow that you referenced, like totally. Yeah. Um, just that, that we can, I love that there's this like moving away from, um, the strict adherence to the truth. It's like, we've just come up against the sort of impossibility of it. And so mm -hmm. why not just have some fun with it and continue to get at these larger philosophical truths and emotional, yeah. you know, in, in memoir, yeah. but allowing your dog to be a CIA agent just seems like the most brilliant way to get yeah. a particular truth. And for a time, I did have the belief that the mushrooms wanted me to write the book. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know? And so, so that drove me because I did a mushroom trip once where I sat outside and the mushrooms started yelling at me. They're like, God damn it, finish. We want our signpost. They're like, most people don't even read, but they need the book in their hand <laughs> because we want our signpost. And what's wild is the cover of this book done by Mike Perry, um, everyone takes pictures of yeah. it, right? And and they send it and put it online and stuff. So I, I I had this feeling that like mushroom spores are these tiny microscopic things, and they needed this object out in the world. And over time, I don't feel that intense identification. I don't feel like I'm the ambassador of mushrooms, like I once did. Uh -huh. Oddly, I actually don't. Well, yeah. this makes me want to ask you, like in a really like blunt fashion, like what? are the mushrooms yeah and if you're listening to me ask that question and you haven't read this book you might be like what does she mean mushrooms are mushrooms mm -hmm. but but the mushrooms are an entity and a force and a vibe and a character in the yeah. book it's really clear that your relationship with them is profound and singular and so i just want to ask you in your words like what what is this energy well like kathleen harris and terence mckenna's um her wife in her I love her talks she talks about cannabis as her sister wife and I'm like mushrooms are definitely not a sister wife like the more I do them the more I don't understand what they are like they are they are no more familiar to me than when I did them at the beginning which is very strange because tobacco like yarrow rose I feel like are friends but mushrooms never fail me. And I always reach a certain level of joy where I can do um, prayer work, physical healing, creative work, work with language. Um, but I mean, as a psychedelic, what a psychedelic is, is it doesn't give you anything. Like it's not like an opiate that gives you like a pleasurable feeling. What a psychedelic's doing is it's pulling away a veil. So you're actually seeing um, something that's actually there as opposed to making you have an illusion i mean the broken away way veil makes room for your unconscious to dance around but there's a truthfulness to it so what is a mushroom mushrooms they're saying um nothing but a good time baby <laughs> um and such a teacher yeah they're, they're just joyous and, and they're also one of the safest drugs if you were to put them all in the list. I would say they're physically um, safe scientifically, but then there's the pitfalls you can get in philosophically. Like, would you say reading um, new narrative and transgressive literature and Dennis Cooper and Jean Genet is safe? No, it can take <laughs> you down like a, you know, long path to where you have to question yourself and your life and 
So those are the dangers of, of big psychedelics. Mushrooms are more physical and, and connected to the natural world. Um, I work a lot with them. They make me do stuff like burn um, juniper and and it, they have kind of a shtick they make me do um, as opposed to the psychedelics. So hearing you come in referencing like other plants um, like yarrow and rose and tobacco mm -hmm. and saying that they're friends yeah. and you know tobacco is also a, a really memorable character in the book and I love how you describe yeah. tobacco's presence and energy and I just want to ask you like is this I mean this is really magical that this is your relationship to plants and like I didn't know that it went beyond um sort of psychoactive plants but like yeah, yeah and rose and it's like do you feel that you have a special relationship with the plant world and like what how did this develop for you? Um, well, one of the first trips I took, the mushrooms were like, <laughs> it took like me, a schedule one drug that's really loud and flashy to make you realize there's plants in the world. <laughs> and that each plant has, has a soul and a, and a personality and an entity. And, and I was very humbled by that because, you know, herbalists, we, have, we both of us have friends who are herbalists that just have known this all along. But for me, it took a psychedelic to show me that. And, and in psychedelic spaces, especially with uh, juniper and tobacco, they showed me like the essence, like sometimes they would um, make me like speak uh, from the plant. Like tobacco is a very, um, like kind of a country guy walking down a road with a bowler hat, but it's also like both genders and kind of like, well, steal your wallet and help you find it and also give you the key to heaven at the same time, you know, kind of a trickster spirit. And so, and I asked Kathleen Harrison about tobacco and, and she had some stories from working with the Mazatec that kind of matched up to the vibe I was getting that the mushrooms told me. And so that's always amazing when you get, I get a teaching. I got a teaching about Kratom, oh, wow. that it, people take Kratom as like a, it's a leaf from okay. Thailand off a tree and it's really good to get off opiates. Um, I don't like it. The mushrooms told me that it's like the guy who meets the people um, after the plane is crashed, the captain to tell them that it happened. <laughs> and I shared this story with a, a person who works with plants and they had a long story about how kratom will lie to you oh, or like be tricky or you know it doesn't tell you what it's taking from you that to think of plants as an exchange you know he was like it's better just to use oh poppy tea because then you know you're just going to feel shitty for two days whereas with kratom you don't know what's going to happen and and so i think of plants like that like what do they want from me what is the relationship um they love to be sung to the relationship with herbs and plants and ceremony is that you just they like their name spoken they like um to be put on the altar they like you to observe the relationality especially plants that grow right outside your house my God, I'm feeling the most urgent sensation right now about all the plants in my home and, I, and on my porch yeah. neglected that like, I'm gonna leave this and go tend to them immediately. Like, like totally. oh my God, what am I doing? Would I leave like starving animals just like sitting on my porch? No, no because I, that yeah. was iconic. They're very forgiving. Like, yeah, we're totally dying, but just sing us a song while you're at it will water us. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, I think so. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. I'll, 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 I'll talk to them. You can call me if you have any trouble. 
Oh, okay. Take some mushrooms and see if there's anything I can help with. <laughs> I'm a friend of Bette Williams, okay? So I know you guys know her. I know she's famous in the community. So, uh, so you, you know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, Kathleen Harrison, and yeah. you write extensively about Kai Wingo and the mentorships <laughs> that you, sort of mentorships in close um, teaching relationships yeah. that you've had from these people. And I just was wondering what you had to say about mentorship it's really it's very beautiful the way you know your book is so relational and there's just all these different forms that that relationality takes and I just the mentorship was really lovely I thought yeah it was um I, I I'm a lone wolf in all the ways I mean even the ways I do mushrooms now I call rogue you know because I'm not um I don't do like ceremonies with I only hang out with my friends on occasion or do them by myself um, so I never thought that I would seek out psychedelic community uh -huh. until I fucked up so bad that I didn't know how to do mushrooms anymore. Like I was like, oh man, like I, I just started taking it for granted that I actually knew how to do them. Like I really did know how to do them, which was just by a fire, you know, in a certain kind of way that was really working for me. And then it just kind of got out of hand uh -huh. and I needed help and so there was a thing on Facebook called the women and Ephesians group and I started just hanging out there and it was moderated by Kai Wingo out of Cleveland and she just was like wow you they, I used to grow them I don't anymore for obvious reasons like being on a podcast <laughs> um, but we would get in conversations and then she invited me to come speak and I'm like Kai I don't I, I mean, when I say I don't know anything, like I'm, I'm on my knees here, like asking for help because I don't know anything. She's like, yeah, you do. Just come over and talk about growing, talk about not knowing anything. Just, just come on over. And, um, and I don't, I wouldn't be here now if she hadn't had that faith in me because we're all just figuring it out. Her mentor just recently passed away. His name was Kalindi E. And he's known for these like incredibly high doses. And one of the things he says all the time is there are no experts, none, not him, not anybody. Like this is an arena where it's all being worked out amongst each other. So at her conference and at Annie Oak from Women's Visionary Congress and, and um, Aoife Taya Harvey, who works uh, for Drug Policy Alliance. And these are people who I'm connected to to this day. Uh-huh. That's so and, cool. um, and people reach out to all of us. And so it's really essential just feeling people out there that are doing these things who's once I started growing them and then writing, had my first article in the weekly paper, I had no idea that I was gonna have a freak out for doing something illegal. I thought I was like above that. And then all of a sudden, I realized I'm a citizen who's doing something that's technically against the law and it actually affected me. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why we need community because it affected my self-esteem. It made me, um, yeah, I, had, I didn't think I cared what the government thought. I didn't think I want to be a good girl. I guess I do, you know. <laughs> well, and you know, it, it's it's fun to play at being an outlaw, but when you really think about yeah. the consequences that are potentially in store for you, it's quite yeah. terrifying, right? Yeah, there might be personalities that are into that sort of thing, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I like that you're talking about finding this community that felt like so comfortable with um, the experimental nature of yeah. larger investigation. <laughs> and I wondered mm -hmm. like, you know, how, because that 
this seems a little bit more underground. It feels like there's a little bit of a mainstream right yeah. now. Yeah. Has been in more recent years where there's like micro dosing and yeah. like this sort of. Um, I feel like, and I might be misquoting you, but I feel like I heard you talk about it as almost like a gentrification of, of psychedelic culture. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, how 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 are those two halves? Are they part of the same whole? Do they work together? Is it helpful? For like well, I think um, to have like these major, you know, spokespeople, or I, I don't know. Well, it was a. There's a lot of people who really criticize very strongly medicalization, science, all of it, and then you have the simple fact that you know you you could go to jail for this sort of thing, and the people who go to jail are usually people who aren't white are yeah. even more at risk and. And, but at the conferences, there's always been a mix. There's been a mix of, of let's say, Rick Doblin and Michael Pollan and then me. And I got a little like, why am I being pulled in to like make it look shiny? And then are you gonna, you know, forget to try to decriminalize these things for me? Because like one of the things that's happening is they're legalizing it for therapeutic use, but not going forward with the decrim movement. So. So in these ways, um, I had some suspicions, but I think it just makes sense to have everybody together because there is, um, I think, a pure desire because people love these things so much. But I'm saying that's happening up until now. What's happening now that things might change legally is you're having like cannabis business sharks who've never done psychedelics having their own conferences. Oh. And they are really, um, I mean, I, I have really pulled back from saying something's creepy or, or unethical, but these conferences are weird. I don't know what's going on. So anybody I've worked with that I've had criticisms about or whatever, there has been an open-hearted sense of inclusion that we're in it together, that everybody has something yeah. to share. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Figures it would be capitalism that would, you know. Yeah, no, it's really, there's a lot of money to be had. And they could be doing it so much more stylishly, they, but they had to go make it ugly and ugh, and not include the old one, you know, not include the tradition. I mean, our traditions, you know, we have more work to do in terms of including women and people of color. But when you go to like um, Alexander and Sasha Shulgin and Kathleen Harrison and then, you know, Kalindi E and, and all of Maria Sabina, like there's it's an actual lineage that can be spoken and must be spoken and must be remembered. Yes. Um, and that makes me want, that makes me think about um, your like literary lineage as well. Um, and I want, I, it was, Our? It was so, uh, yeah, I think we share it for sure. Um, yeah. I was so thrilled to see the footnote to Howell um, in the book. Mm -hmm. I, that's one of my favorite pieces of writing. Yeah. And um, it just made me, feel like yeah like what you know what writers or pieces of writing influenced this and then maybe on a larger scale like you as a writer yeah but when I was thinking about you in particular Michelle I was thinking how we came of age as writers around a similar time and I don't know I know that we've spoken of writers that we share that we love like I mean Miles um but there's also like a kind of drug book tradition that happened in the 80s and 90s that was like Jay McInerney and Brett Easton Ellis and and I just really like their prose style and the way a kind of transgressive edge makes for a great story yeah. <laughs> and 
so you know girl walking backwards even like kind of young person's novel has like all these ecstasy scenes and and it's just it's it's like sex it's like it's a it's a thing that just really makes uh, writing a whole lot of fun and, and a challenge and 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 it's it's there's this thing of like you have to evolve out of that form because you can only go around destroying your body or your relationships and such <laughs> you know if you're if you're a writer of transgressive or drug books you know for so long so I think that was part of my challenge which was to um take a kind of trope which is substances and relationships and how hard they are and how they fall apart and um do it in a way that wasn't self-depreciating and wasn't about losing you know because punk what, what do they say and please kill me that punk rock is about failure uh-huh i've been trying i've been trying that for 15 years like don't it's okay to play the fool and the fly a narrator but don't be a fool like show people how to do it right that I think that was ultimately the task of the book which was to to like come out winning for right. a change right yeah it's a different drug narrative in that way that it's like yeah. it's really true that like you know even a, a beautifully written or an excitingly written um drug narrative with a new voice that can kind of sustain yeah. you you still kind of know how how it's going to end, right? This person, yeah. pro they probably got it, you know, they're, they're going to end up in a puddle at the end of it. There's really totally. no way. But this is such and a- And then Dodie Bellamy's writing. You know, Dodie doesn't, isn't a drug writer, but Dodie Bellamy knows how her, to make a page. Her writing is drug. rock. It's just like, you're high yeah. reading that stuff. And it's like, okay, Dodie's not talking about drugs here. So, you know, what's that? So her writing was very important. Joy Williams. Um, yeah. And- and Ariana Ryan's, yeah. I mean, the the influence of Ariana Ryan's is is huge on my yes. life and as a friend. Oh, yeah. yeah. To think of things alchemically that you're you're speaking when you speak, you're you're giving people medicine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And there's such a um, the way that poetry. Um, is so unruly feeling, at least to yeah. me. And I mean, I know that there's, you know, very strict poetic forms and maybe it's just mm -hmm. my ignorance of them that makes poetry feel uh, as unruly and like a dream language as it does. But I feel like that is like, your book is like the prose version of that. You know, it's this unruly prose and it's just, it's such a fantastic book. Um, do, you ever, do you ever get blocked when you read too much poetry? Because I think I was blocked for years because I, you know, I, I was reading the work of the best poets alive and I was turning into a poet, but I'm not a poet. I'm not a good poet. So I, I think it took a lot of time to integrate that density into my prose style. Oh, that's so interesting. Does that happen to you ever? Actually, when I read poetry, it makes me want to write poetry. And I've read a yeah. bunch of poetry and during the, the pandemic and I've actually been writing poetry. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know that it's any good, you know, and I hear you be like, I'm not a good poet. And it's like, I bet I would fucking love your poems bad. You know, I just bet that I would, but, um, but yeah, it makes me, it, it, poetry makes me want to write. It triggers that sensation of like, it gets mm -hmm. the, it, it, it wakes up that part of my brain and then my, that, and it wants, then that part of my brain wants some attention, you know, it wants to, it wants yeah. So I know, I think it's like, um, I think it's maybe the writer Daniel Handler, who I'm pals with, had said something about keeping poetry nearby to read before yeah. writing to kind of get him thinking about language. And I love that idea, you know? 
Um, and for me, I don't know, I like to keep work around that makes me want to write. I mean, your book makes me want to write, you know, it just makes awesome. it just so fun. Yeah, I'm like, I want to have fun like that. That looks like such a good time. <laughs> well, like, I think um, it was Timothy Leary was in a conversation and saying that psychedelics are visual and was talking about cartoons and, and a lot of people agree with that. But then Maria Sabina, who's the mushroom quandetta of Mexico, is considered one of the greatest poets alive. The mushrooms were part of a, a language tradition. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's very true, especially poetically. I think they do like poetry more than even prose. So it had, but the book had to be poetic uh -huh. or else it wasn't gonna fly with the mushrooms. Oh, yeah. I love that. You know, um, I know we're drawing to, to the close of our conversation, but I, just, I wanted to ask you, so like, you know, what is, there's so many ways to kind of come at this question about white privilege. I mean, you have in this, I love the way that the mushrooms in that they are in a sense, the personification of truth in a way in your mm -hmm. book, how they act mm -hmm. as a sort of foil to the narrator and kind of call the narrator out on their illusions yeah. and stuff. There's this great piece um, where um, the, the mushrooms are talking to you and they're like, you catch yourself trying to be a good white person. Then you realize the entire loop is your own, is your own ego trip. You try to make yourself feel better by telling yourself, most people won't even do deep thinking around white privilege that you're doing. So stop <laughs> yourself, but you can't escape the transmission that this is coming from us, the mushrooms. We are saying that this thing you are doing makes you, means you are an asshole. Means you're an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was like, a hard one. Oh my God. I mean, this is what, I mean, it's like, just want to dose all the white people with, with mushrooms. And at the same time, wonder, you know, what is the proper relationship as white people to these traditions and wisdoms that come from indigenous cultures of color? You know, like how, how do we partake? Do we partake? You know, like there are some things in spiritual traditions where I can, it's very clear to me that that's not for me. And it's not mm -hmm. hard for me, even though I might find it very beautiful and I might feel attracted to it. It's, I understand it's not for me. And I just, you know, that's that. And then there are other traditions that feel like they could have such a hands-on physical benefit to my well-being, like yoga or like psychedelics, yeah. you know, where you're like, this is a legit human medicine. Or do I just assume that it is because I'm white and I think I can go anywhere I want? You know, it's, it's a lot. I just, I don't know, I just wanted to talk to you about it because you, you know, you're yeah. stuff that you're grappling with too in your book and in your life. Well, one of the reasons why mushrooms make me so happy is I feel like they're a kind of remedy for the cultural appropriation around ayahuasca scenes. Mm -hmm. And the decriminalized movement has just been asked to remove peyote from the list of um, entheogens oh, yeah? to, that, to be decriminalized because um, we're being called to respect that as a Native American practice, and I, and I think that is a beautiful thing to do. We can you can use San Pedro if you want mescaline, and so and the conversations about ayahuasca are so complicated because it's an economy for a lot of people down in Peru, and right. and they want you to do it, and and so for me the mushrooms they grow all over they travel all over they're of the earth like we are of the earth and they will teach you about how to connect to your own way of doing them like i know a scottish woman who's using them she was doing some ceremonies in the mexican tradition but she's like i'm embarking on this path to try to uncover how my people 
use the mushrooms. And, and so they're a tool in that way. And I think when people say, well, you know, the Mazatec use them, that is a really important thing to remember in terms of American psychedelic history and world history, because she was literally robbed and stolen from, hit the cover of Life magazine, it, Leary read it, McKenna read it, and the psychedelic quote unquote revolution began, and it was really hard. You're talking about so Maria Sabina? That's it. Maria Sabina. Okay. Yeah, the Cohen debtor from Mexico. So, so that history needs to be told and remembered, but it doesn't mean you're appropriating her when you eat mushrooms. It's something that grows in, I mean, there's probably people who've never watched a video or read anything who were like, hey, yeah, if you eat that stuff at the cow patties up in Wisconsin, you're gonna have a really good time. And they're probably, you know, having massive spiritual experiences. And maybe they even have their own songs and circles. Like there's, um, you know, one of the illusions that, I think the medical psychedelic people like to say is that, oh, these things are all for white, you know, all these white people are doing them and hippies and burning men. It's like there are circles of all races all over the country having their circles. They've been doing it for a long time and we don't get to come because we don't know them and probably not invited. So like, you know, that's, that's part of the beauty of the mushroom is, is you can make it, you know, your own. And I mean, hopefully responsibly. And hopefully you don't run around saying you know how to do it and your way is the right, right way. And hopefully you're not charging money. Because like one of the main tenets to be respectful of old ways is people didn't charge money for old ways. Even in European ways, all cultures, like the old ways were just old and they happened and it was outside of, of capitalism. And that's why it's so healing. I love that. I love all of that. I don't think I realized that um, that these mushrooms grew all over the planet. I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Especially Ireland, Scotland, England. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Well, gosh, this has been amazing to talk to you about this book. I've been just so excited for it to come out ever since I, I read the manuscript, and now I have the beautiful little package with the gorgeous cover by Mike Perry that just does it justice, you know, to the energy. You're my shining angel. I just blurted that. It's so true. Yeah, though. yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, thank you. Cool. All right, thank you both so much. What a fabulous, wide-ranging conversation. I feel like I learned so much just sitting here and listening to you both. So thank you for uh, making the time to talk with our listeners today. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any last things you wanted to mention or say before we say our sad goodbyes? No, not me. Bet um, anything else? Let's see. So, um, so no, no, no. All right. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I hope we can uh, do this again in person under the skylight oh, with yeah. people someday soon. Yeah. <laughs> So fingers crossed. Festivals. We have to have festivals after once we can all come out. Once everyone's safe, we just need to like make up for last lost time, right? Just That's right. That. Yeah. Big game. Party all night. I love that. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.
Assim 